Welcome everybody. What, what's today's date? 19. October 19, 2014. Okay. Uh, today is a little bit of a, a advanced topic <laughs> but uh, instead of explaining many many complex practices and trying to boil the practices down um, so that at least you can start to get a conceptual idea and then from a conceptual idea to, to have an understanding of how to in a practical way, implement it in your own personal life. Because you know, if, you, if you have a bunch of practices, you know, and uh, you don't really understand them, and I say, "Well, what are you doing?" I don't know. <laughs> you know, that's not a good that's not a good idea in yoga. You should have a, a very clear understanding of of what you're attempting, why you're attempting it, and how you're going to go about doing it. See? So, uh, uh, even if you cannot do the practical application, just by having a good conceptual understanding, over time you'll grow into it. You'll figure out how to do the practice. But if you don't have a good conceptual idea, and someone gives you a bunch of practices, it doesn't really mean anything. It's just something in your box, but you don't understand how to how to manipulate it. So it just sort of sits there. It, it may be pretty, it may be interesting, but basically useless because you don't understand how to, how to implement it. It's like having a car and not knowing how to drive. It's nice to own the car. It's even better if you know how to drive. So, so you have to try to get uh, conceptual ideas t together. Um, uh, some of this is, is uh, very, very difficult. Uh, the reason it's difficult is because, one, no one has introduced this body of thoughts to you before. And two, even after this body of thoughts are introduced to you, there's very little social support. <laughs> no, no one's saying, that's a good idea, go for it. <laughs> You know, it's not like when you went to get your degree in university, people said, that's a good idea, go for it. But uh, with, a lot of the, with a lot of the yogic ideas, yoga tantra ideas, um, you're sort of like uh, exercising extremely advanced physics in life. So not that much support because people don't think at that level. Most people are thinking in a very basic, fundamental, get from today to next day, you know, pay the bills, you know, have a little bit of joy and you're good to go. But uh, yoga is, is, is about your, your full evolutionary arc. So at one time we were running around like Cro-Magnum men, you know. With very thick brows and bashing whatever we could catch with a stick. So that was one part of our evolutionary history. Now we're homo sapien, so we, you know, not so thick a brow, but a very active brain, and we can actually make machines fly in the air. But 
again, you have to understand that that's just one evolutionary step. It's not your completion. It's just an evolutionary step. Yoga science is, is, is a science that talks about your complete evolutionary arc. See, now, who do you talk to in your life about your complete evolutionary arc? You don't. You, you just don't. You talk about the day-to-day -day stuff, the nice stuff, the headache stuff, but you, you don't talk about your, your full solar potential. Generally, all of your activities are egoic personality-based, not solar-based. And even, even the word solar is a profound abstraction for the average person. It's just a big abstraction. It's just a word. It's like God. Well, yeah, well, what's that? You know, it's, it's just a, it's a, it's an, an undeveloped or unanalyzed or unrealized concept. See? So it, it's functional, but very, very vague. You know, we use these words, but we don't really know what that is. We just have a body of assumptions, functional assumptions. This whole idea of uh, yoga tantra of compassion, so if we break down the word yoga, the word yoga means to unite or bind. And what they're referring to is to unite or bind the finite to the infinite. See? Man to its maker. See? Traveling from alpha to omega. See? To, to embrace that whole spectrum. If you use the word tantra, tantra refers to being able to see divinity in every element of life. The, abil the ability to see divinity in every element of life. That's what Tantra is. That's what it is. And then when we use the word compassion, you can say compassion is a, an empathetic, loving warmth. An empathetic, loving warmth. You know, com compassion is not cold. It, it's, it's, it's an intimate awareness of the condition of others and an, and an, an intimate um, desire for the well-being of others. That's what compassion is. It's, it's not a way. It's intimate. That's why I use the word empathetic. You, you feel other people's suffering. And in being aware of their condition, you have a fundamental desire for their wholeness, for their joy, uh, for their success, for their sense of completion. So what, what, when you're talking about compassion, you're talking about a type of cause, causeless kindness type of causeless kindness. It's not based on anything. See? It's just it's just a function of something that is. See, it, it, it doesn't have a reason to be. It just is. 
causeless kindness. Like if you say hello to me, and I say hello back to you. Well, you said hello to me, so that was a cause. So I said hello back. It's not like that. See, it's not a reciprocation at all. It's just a manifestation of something that is. So we, we have that word compassion or, or, or causeless kindness. Um, again, it's a type of abstraction. But if you can enter deep into the yogic process, you come to the realization that that's an element of your spiritual DNA. That's an element of just who and what you are. It didn't have a cause, it just is part of what you are. As we're now when we use the word, it has to go through our intellectual process and then our various manipulations, and it's rather corrupt in form. But it's actually part of what you are. It's part of your, your visceral, literal expression. Um, you sort of have to understand the situation you're in. You know, if you look at your body, it's a biological organism. Infinitely changing. Every moment, it's changing. Every single moment, something's going on. You know, could you imagine if your heart stopped pumping? <laughs> It might be an interesting crisis. You need it to keep active, you know. And think about think about your uh, your psyche. You need another pillow. Um, no, I'm gonna take one. Okay, okay. If you think about your psyche, think of how many times in the course of a day you have another thought or another feeling. Again, you're a, like a cosmic soup. Every moment you're feeling something different. Every moment you're thinking something different. Every moment your body's going through biological changes. Again, this is infinite moving soup. You know? And, and consciously or unconsciously we say, well, this is who I am. Well, is that really true? This is who I am? If you're changing from this second to this second, well, out of the two billion times you changed your thoughts and feelings in the course of the day, well, which one were you? Which one were you? Out of the two billion feelings and thoughts you had in any, any day, which one? Which one were you? Then you have to say, well, was any of them me? Or was that one me or not this one? See, can you start to understand the situation you're in? As where you're identifying it all as me? Well, which, which you was you? Which thought, which feeling? Out of the two billion that that's passed through your head during the course of the day, passed through your, your being. So, it's a, a conundrum that you're in. We study the practices of meditation so that we can come to, to some, uh, some constant, some, some condition that's not changing so that we have a platform from which to move from. As we're biologically and psychologically, we're in flux every moment. And every moment you're acting from this, this feeling to that thought to this feeling, and you're projecting something based on what you're perceiving. I'm perceiving this feeling, I'm perceiving this thought. And for every thought and every feeling, 
that you become aware of, you project some action to it, some reaction to it. You're reacting to every thought, every feeling. You're making judgments, you're making plans. That's part of the human condition. So we have to understand how profoundly random we are. Even like we can have, all of a sudden we're walking down the street, we see a car across the street that reminds us of when we were a baby, you know, being carried by our mother, and a car just like that rode by. So we're, we're going through an arc of feeling, an arc of thought, an arc of time with, without holding on to anything that's constant, that's substantial, that's truly us. We're, we're just going through plexuses of, of thoughts and feelings and memories. We, we, we try, so if we're, if we're changing a billion times in the course of a day, there is no constant me. There's no sense of me really. So if there's no constant sense of me really, there also is a sense of insecurity. Because every thought, every feeling, every biological action you have, you're not really having a whole lot of control over it. So if you're living in a world where a billion actions are occurring with just within you, and you have little to no control over it, don't you have a sense of either sort of a, at very at least, a sense of unconscious insecurity? Because you don't know what's going to happen the very next second. It may not be conscious, you may not be thinking about it, but you're, you're basically insecure. Because everything is changing every moment for you. There really is no sense of rest. So there is a sense of constant, whether it's active or, or passive, angst. We all have this angst, like what's next? <laughs> you know? What's going to happen? You know, I think it's going to go my way, or I think it's not going to go my way. So that angst is there. What the pra practices of, of meditation uh, do is allow us to enter into a condition where, where we become non-reactive to all of this temporal phenomena, all these things that are fluxing, coming in, coming out, arising, falling, manifesting, falling back, you know, all of this change, 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 which makes us insecure. It definitely makes us insecure. So, in meditation, we're, we're, we're saying, okay, I want to find something that is stable in life. I want a lens of perception that is not changing. So if I'm looking at the world through this thought one minute, and then this philosophy the next minute, and then this feeling the next minute, every, every time we look out in the world, we're looking out through a, a psychic lens. We're looking through the lens of our family, a lens of our history, the lens of our day. You know, if you had an argument with your boyfriend just a few moments ago, when you look out into the world, that's affecting your lens of perception. So there's no constant vision. When you practice meditation, you're learning how to come into a place of silence that is constant. It's constant. Everything else is changing, changing, changing. But when has silence ever changed? Silence a billion years ago is the same as silence in this moment. There's no change. It's the same. 
Now, we think of silence as the absence of something. That's not correct. That's really a, a very innocent, incorrect perception. Silence is a living, visceral phenomenon. By, by learning how to slowly attach ourselves to the, to, to the reality of silence, there can come a type of psychic rest. And there can come a clearer vision as to what is the nature of things. Because as I said just earlier, when we look out into the world, we're seeing the world through a constantly changing lens. It's changing every moment. So that's why you can line up six people and have them witness one event and you have six different stories. And there's six different valid stories because they're all looking through their own valid lenses of perception, but their lenses are always changing. As opposed to, I said, line up six expert meditators and have them perceive one phenomena. But now if they can enter that condition of silence, they'll see that phenomena in the same light because they're using the same lens as opposed to an infinitely vacillating psychic lens. See? That's why there's no com there's no confusion or com or or, or um, dispute among saints and masters. They're all on the same page. This dispute is amongst human beings because they all have their own book. So, as you uh, as you learn this practice of, of deep meditation, you you learn that. There are multiple, multiple qualities within that silence. And then this practice, this, this thing of revelation that you hear about in all the scriptures of the world, revelation is to reveal, you start to realize that that silence is, is, the, is your true psychic body. Not all of what you've created, but your, your true disposition lies hidden in that silence. And there's multiple, multiple uh, qualities within the body of that silence, of which one is, is compassion. It's, it, it's part of your fundamental psychic DNA. Well, we're so busy in our own creation that we've gotten very, 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 very far away from ourselves. See? That's why when people get around saints, they all feel, ah, I'm happy, I feel joyous, because they're stable, <laughs> you know, they're compassionate. You know, there's no angst. Even if you're around your best friend, there's angst. You can fuss about this or this, you know, stuff happens. You know, again, that insecurity is there. You know, everybody, as, as a human being, you want something from everybody you're with. I want them to like me. I want them to love me. I want them to respect me. I want them to fear me. Whatever your shtick is, whatever your thing is, you want something. That's because you're coming from your constantly vacillating mind, which is profoundly insecure. So you're always looking to hold on to something and be propped up by something. That's where if you're sitting, it's like, what did the Buddha want? <laughs> he didn't want anything from anybody. He came as a universal bomb, B-A-L-M, or, 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 or a Jesus. You know, they, they, they came to heal, they came to lift, they came to inspire. They didn't, they, they didn't come with a begging bowl. They weren't needy. They weren't psychically needy. They came with full baskets to distribute amongst the people. So, as, as you can practice this kind of uh, stillness, you come into 
a greater sense of self-knowledge. Okay, a greater sense of self-knowledge. It, it's not about who you call yourself. It's about what you really are. Okay, so that's a little bit about talking about meditation. Now we're going to try to talk a little bit about Tantra so that you can understand how these things go together. You can even say something like this, this conscious Tantra and unconscious Tantra. Like if I see a friend going across the street and I wave and say, hey, how are you doing? That's a Tantric act. You know, Every time you see a priest uh, do a Mass, that's all pure Tantra. Anytime you practice Hatha Yoga, that's pure Tantra. Anytime you shake a person's hand, that's pure Tantra. You don't realize it. It's all, that's all unconscious, but it's all pure Tantra. You know, and again, Tantra is being able to, that's, if like I shake Victor's hand over there, hey, how you doing? You know, for, for, if I was like a regular person, it'd be like unconscious Tantra. You know, it's, it's, it's an action and unconsciously hidden beneath it is goodwill. It's unconscious. Conscious Tantra is when you're aware that your action is a divine act that, that's motivated by the divine. So it's conscious and unconscious. So we're all doing unconscious. Anytime a mother hugs a baby, that's a tantric act. Or you, you hug your mom. It's just, that's purely a tantric act. It's just unconscious tantra. See? But if, if, if you hug your mother and realize this is a wonderful child of God, that's conscious tantra. You know? That's conscious tantra. <laughs> because you're seeing, you're attaching... The, the notion of divinity to the element. See, you're attaching the notion of divinity, the idea of divinity to the element. The moment you do that, it's, it's conscious tantra. See? <laughs> now, it, it's sort of uh, a little bit difficult in the beginning and a little bit mind-blowing to say, okay, uh, I'm going to look at the whole world as, as divine? Now, who thinks like that? <laughs> you know, you might hear it in a book, but you just keep going, you know. You just mow through that, you know, that passage, you know. You don't think about that. But this is uh, the type of uh, uh, psychic expansions that uh, the tantric yogis want you to acquire. So, as I've been saying in that uh, early meditation class that we have once a month by the water, it's like 6 o'clock in the a.m. that we meet. Uh, by the water, all this is precious, all this is conscious, all this is God. So these are like three big, big ideas you have to get into your head. All this is precious, all this is conscious, all this is God. Massively mind-blowing, massively important. Like, when do you sit there and look out into the world and say, all this is precious. And then, as you gaze forward, to look at every element and, and, and try to square that, I'm looking at the glass of that car out there. Now, how is that precious? See, that's a little mind-blowing. We don't think like that. We just don't think like that. But if we stop and think about it deeply, we, 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 we stop seeing things in a convenient, conventional way and start to see them in a more deeper 
uh, fundamental way. You know, it's like someone that you meet on the street. You don't know them. How you doing? And you move along. And now you meet someone, a family member that you love. Oh, now they're precious. Why are they precious and the other guy's not? One you knew and the other you didn't know. So it's easy. The unknown is all of a sudden in our minds not precious. It's because we didn't look deeply. When you, when you had a deep relationship, then they became precious. But when there was minimal relationship, then it wasn't precious. Now what is it really? What is it really? The fact is, it's all precious. It's just a question of your level of familiarity. Your, your level of relationship. See? So in the, in the Tantra Yoga, we're trying to get you to come to a place where you look at things in a very, very deep way, in a very, very fundamental way, in a way that we accept that there's a relationship, that there's an inherent relationship amongst all things. There is no other. There is no other. And it's like also I use the word sometimes ugly. In truth, there is no ugly. Ugly only means, is another way of saying, I don't know. It's, this is unknown to me, unfamiliar to me. So then you can call it ugly. But all of a sudden, if it becomes very, very, very familiar to you, is it really ugly? No. No, not at all. Just like you can have an example. You go to a, a VA hospital, and there's a sadly uh, disformed man who's been blown up by some bomb. And you're taking a gas for a few moments. But then you're visiting and you're meeting and you're chatting and you get to know this human being. Doesn't the ugly go away? Doesn't that immediately, the early, you know, the horror of, the, of seeing this injury, this horrific injury. And then all of a sudden through the weeks you get to know this soldier and you talk and you visit and you're becoming a friend. Doesn't your vision change? Do you, are you now looking at the scars, or are now you looking at the human? See? In the beginning, there was a notion of ugly. Now it's Johnny, my friend. See? See? So even the notion of ugly only means the unknown. It's not part of your package of awareness. So it's, you're a little bit fearful of it. See? Now, if you, if you start to accept the preposition, that everything is in relationship, that everything is in relationship to each other, and that you're going to consciously enter into that relationship, then ugly disappears, common notions of what something is, assumptions disappear, and slowly, as you look deeper and deeper, based on your level of concentration, divinity starts to manifest. Divinity is inherent in everything. It's just, it's just that our conventional mind doesn't look deeply. So we, take, we sort of take a snapshot and, and then assign a, a whole bunch of assumptions to that snapshot. As opposed to looking deeply, 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 deeply. See? If you look deeply, all of a sudden you, you enter into an empathetic, a conscious, a loving relationship with it, and then slowly the divinity of that element starts to release itself, become pre uh, psychically present.
See? See, so you're 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 breaking assumptions, you're breaking delusions, you're breaking illusions when you're starting to practice the, the yoga tantra of compassion. You, your, 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 your effort is to try to see things as they are, not as you assume they are, you know, based on your history and your, and your fears and your desires and all that. That's, all that's not important. I mean, if a, if a scientist is looking at a specimen and superimposing all of his fears, all of his loves, and all of his history on that specimen, is he seeing the specimen? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. He's got he's to be as impartial and as neutral as possible to see what's going on. He can't be superimposing a bunch of assumptions on it. You'll never solve what's, what's in front of you. You'll never see what's in front of you if you're imposing all your stuff. So there's uh, many, many, many uh, exercises to help us uh, to uh, break this this idea of, of taking a snapshot and then superimposing our stuff on what's in front of us. So one of the very first activities that we do is to say that everything is precious. Just just as not a, not as a theorem, but as a fact. Theorem means it's it's like a a set of us uh, working assumptions as opposed to no it's a fact everything just like it's a fact is gravity nobody's dispute, disputing that it's not maybe this gravity no this gravity your feet are on the is held to the ground so if we if we take it as a fact that everything is precious that alone is mind-blowing you know just to take that idea that notion seriously is mind-blowing is 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 an, a massive psychic expansion because we don't function out of that place we don't function out of the place that everything is precious if if we as humans made that assumption as a fact there wouldn't be poverty there wouldn't be hunger you know there wouldn't be homelessness you know all these you know human you know ails you know sicknesses would be immediately erased you know they wouldn't be wealthy here and poor over there you know that's not possible if you're seeing everything as precious there would be a, a great sharing a great lifting a great aid to all can you see how compassion would naturally manifest if you thought everything was precious that there would be an immediate compassion an immediate action you couldn't be compassionate and sit like a stone. No, you'd be running to help, running to serve, running to lift. See? So, everything is precious. Everything is conscious. Everything is God. So, with everything is conscious, like we look at, you know, the earth. Oh, that earth. We don't, we don't think of it as a, as a form of life. We just think of it as sort of dumb stuff. It's just there. We don't, we don't realize that it has its life at its own level. Just like you have a whole bunch of human beings 
living their own lives at their own levels of emotion and, and intellectual facility and creative facility. You have consciousness. Why are we so arrogant to think that consciousness is not everywhere? Isn't that an arrogance of man in the Galilean time to say the cosmos circles around the earth? Isn't that the same thing that we're doing when we assume that there's not consciousness everywhere? See? That, that we're the center of the universe and everything goes around us. Come on, give us a break. <laughs> be, be reasonable. Be reasonable. You're part of the universe. You're not the center of the universe. You're part of the universe in relationship to the universe. <clears throat> so you can say the silence is, is the center of the universe because it's everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But so, to, to just to get the notion that there is a universality of consciousness and that maybe I don't understand the consciousness of a stone just because I don't understand the consciousness of a stone because maybe it's much more slow, much more rudimentary doesn't mean there's not consciousness there. Why are we making that assumption that, that we're conscious and they're not? Why? Why? It's a, it's a baseless assumption, completely baseless assumption, but we all make that assumption. But now, all of a sudden, if you say, well, all of nature, the ocean, and the air, and the elements of the earth all have consciousness, well, if they all have consciousness, and they're all precious, don't you think you can enter into a conscious relationship with them? Of course you can. Of course you can. There, there is a level of intelligence there. There is a level of consciousness there. You can enter into a relationship with it. You can enter into a dialogue with it. It's definite, not maybe, it's definite. It's just the, our own arrogance that, that made the assumption. It's all sort of inanimate stuff. You know, we're important, it's not. That's why we harm the earth and foul the rivers and damage the earth. Because we don't think it's precious and we don't think it's conscious. See? We think that we have dominion over everything, that we're the center, and everything else is, you know, at our heels, you know. So, this, this yoga, uh, of, of yoga tantra of compassion, allows us to come to a place where we can have intimacy with life. Not an unconscious intimacy, but a conscious intimacy with life. That we, that we slowly over time get the habit of looking deeply at things, being patient with things, you know, uh, not imposing our clock on it, but just the sense of being, being present and being aware. Be present and being aware. That's what you're doing in meditation. You're being present and you're being aware. And in the process of meditation, you're learning how not to judge anything. Because judgments are just based on your assumptions of how things should be. Not how things really should be, but how you think things should be. So who are you? <laughs> With all of your imperfections. See? But we, we try to be the arbiter. You know, get over that. That's, that, that's just profoundly erroneous. But in meditation, you can learn how to be present be alert and don't judge anything just learn how to be present and aware and, and let's let the nature of things 
express themselves without your imposition, your imposition of your thoughts, your feelings, your history. See? Just see how things play out. That's why the meditators become very, very wise. Because they get to see how things really are. Not how we suppose them to be. Not how we impose our ideas and feelings on them. But how they really are. So the, the meditators learn to, they, they respect everything. And they allow things to come and go and to see the validity, uh, the qualities in, inherent in all these aggregated events that happen in our psyche. See? And then over time, as we become more and more alert, we see deeper and deeper into the nature of reality. Meaning the nature of, there's different gradations of phenomena, just like you have a spectrum in light. So you have a spectrum of, of manifestation, from very, very gross to ultra, ultra subtle. Over time, the psychic instrument in the human condition becomes rarefied, where you can slowly, slowly, slowly see the vast spectrum of manifestation, from the very gross to the very subtle, and have an intimate understanding of its of its true nature, of its true nature. Now, if we're trying to, so that's the one of the first skills that we must acquire. But then, so that's a purely let's say let's say it this way, a psychic skill. But in in, in tantra, we're also trying to exercise the heart. So. One of the simple exercises is when we're sitting to, to gaze out and, and to every, every element that's in our gaze, everything that's within our gaze, to say a, a prayer of goodwill so that we're constantly generating goodwill. And what's mind expanding about this is you learn to pray for things that you never thought about before, that was never in your real conscious field of awareness. It was in your field of awareness, but not in your conscious field of awareness. We just took it as stuff. So how much relationship can you really have with things if you don't feel it's precious and you feel it's basically a bunch of stuff? Can you see how isolated you, you are psychically? You're in just your own little tiny bubble. But as you can expand your bubble and, and start to just look at every element and have a prayer of, of goodwill, for each, each element. So as you say a prayer of goodwill, you're manifesting a vibrational current. And wherever your, wherever your focus goes, that's where that current goes to. Now, we've already established that it's not dead. It may be slower, it may be less animate than you are, but it's not dead, it's still conscious. It, it, on some level, it will pick up your, your goodwill. And on some level, on its own level, it will reciprocate. Over time, as you become sensitive, you'll feel that reciprocation. See? You, you'll enter into a deeper and deeper and deeper intimacy with all the elements of life. You'll get over your human arrogance and say, I, I myself am an element of life dealing with other elements of life. All elements of life are precious, so I will pray for the welfare of all life. Can you, can you start to understand now how this starts to change your consciousness? If, if you start to 
acknowledge all things with respect and acknowledge things as precious and then have a try to manifest a sense of goodwill towards all things and this is this becomes a life process that is it's part of of your of the intimacy of prayer that's a, a constant cycle in your life can you see how your psyche is, will expand and how you'll start to have a new vision of life a different vision of life see? not to take things for granted see? so this this is part of the the yoga tantra but in some of the exercises that uh, there's a bunch of exercises but I'll, I'll talk about a few you know th there's a very simple exercise but even though things may be simple they're often very powerful you know let's say you you go and sit in the mall so there's the normal you know frivolousness and you know common life of a mall Basically, it's a, a dead zone of spirit, but, but, but people are having a ball. <laughs> people are having a lot of fun. But it's sort of zombie fun. They're actively sleeping. They're very active. But just to sit there, and then, you know, every type of person is going to walk past you. You know, every, you know, short, tall, fat, this color, that color, this race, that race, everybody's going to walk past you. Just not to look this way, not to look there, just to quietly gaze at every human being that comes in front of you. So, oh, may you be well, may you be well, may you be well. But, but first, attach, a, you first go back into your own personal history and, and say, whom did I love? Whom did I have a sense of, of, of uh, a feeling of, I want the best for you? You know, go back and look at your own personal history and then remember that person and remember those feelings, see? Now, when you gaze ahead, take that same feeling. You know, let's say you had a best friend. that They were just great. They loved you. You loved them. You, you wanted the best for each other. It was The relationship was that simple. So now, remembering that feeling from the past, hold that feeling in your heart and then... Just with a gentle gaze, whomever comes across your gaze, to project that same feeling, may you be well, using that emotional feeling. Now, what's going to start happening is every kind of person that you never thought, you know, of having any kind of relationship with is going to walk right past you. And now you're starting to get exercised in a sense of goodwill for people you would have never noticed. They could have died right in front of you and you wouldn't have noticed. But all of a sudden, fat, tall, this way, that way, gay, straight, everybody's coming by you, you know. And you're, you're exercising that feeling of goodwill. Constantly goodwill, constantly goodwill, constantly goodwill. Don't you think that's going to change you? Isn't that going to expand you? Well, that's a portion of it. It's, it that exercise is, is generally done in, in, in three parts. Um... First, you'll sit quietly in, in basic meditation. Now, people may, you, you, you can't be tied to how people think about you. Because you'll be sitting there like some Buddha. People think you're in that case. You've got to get over that. You know, you're there for a purpose. You know, you're going to do your exercise. They're not going to understand it. So get over, get over your vanity stuff. So sit for, a, like, like have a little clock. In the beginning, uh, you just have a little timer. That's the easiest way to do it. And you can do it for a very short period, five minutes, five minutes, five minutes. Later on, you'll do it for 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, and half hour, half hour, half hour, like that. 
But first, just quiet meditation where you're, look, you're gazing here and you're maintaining a sense of peace and neutrality to all the phenomena. But you're present and you're alert and you're neutral. So that's the first thing to acquire. So you're, you're acquiring a peaceful center, okay? And a non-judgmental center via the practice of meditation. And then you want to try to supercharge yourself. So you'll do, okay, whatever a mantra your Guruji has given you, whether it's just Om or Om Shri Dhamma, there's many, many, Devi mantras, there's many, many, many mantras. If you're unaffiliated, just say Om. So for, fit, for the five minutes, just in your mind, chant Om, 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 Om. At Om you can think of as light and creation. Ebullient light, divine creation. And then after you do that, so now that you're working with a lot of dynamic alchemy inside of yourself, and then open your eyes. And then for that, if it's, if it's five minutes, five minutes, five minutes, at that point, then everyone who comes across your gaze, say a prayer of goodwill. Now this is pure tantric practice. So in the beginning it's five minutes, five minutes, five minutes, then it's ten minutes, ten minutes, ten minutes, each little segment, there's three segments. And then twenty minutes, twenty minutes, twenty minutes, see? But can you understand the dynamic alchemy that you're, you're doing, that you're reconditioning your entire psychic condition? See? You're completely reconditioning who you are and a manifestation of more of what you are. See? Now, it's not just based on your history and your bias and your prejudices. All of that you've now put aside. You're coming from a neutral place of divine compassion. And you're saying, all this is, present, is precious. See? So now it's not your judgments about what you've been seeing as everybody passes you by you. You're saying all this is precious and you're, you're, you're taking the next step of a prayer of goodwill using a lot of, using mental focus and the remembrance of the heart. See? So <clears throat> this is a pure tantric practice. You know, if, if, you, if you want to enter into a psychic revolution, do this type of practice. See? Right now you're just hearing hearing these things, so you have to ferret it out and think about it over time. But then when you're ready, you know, remember these words and say, if you if you say I want to grow spiritually, do a practice like that. You know, and then commit to it, say, I'm gonna do it for 40 days. See? Just as, as a life experiment, you know, and keep a journal, take notes. You know, this is about becoming, fulfilling what you are. It's, it's about fulfilling what you are on the most fundamental level. Now, don't you think this is sort of like a Jesus kind of thing? Or a Krishna kind of thing? Or a Buddha kind of thing? In terms of the nature of compassion that, that you're, you're cultivating in yourself? See? You become who you build. See? You know, some of you guys are lawyers, some of you guys are engineers, some of you guys are computer people, some of you guys are architects. You didn't just fall into that. You built it. You built that body. See? That body of awareness, that body of action, that body of knowledge. You built it. So what, what about 
all the divine qualities of the saints. It, just, it didn't just fall on their head out of the sky. They built it from the inside out. They built it. They discovered it. And then they worked it. They worked it through their psyche. They worked it through their physical body. They worked it through their emotional body. They worked it through their mental body. See? So that's what they became. That's who they became. So if, you know, if you can... Everybody should have some favorite saints. Because those are like big models that we can say, I want to be like that. I want that level of kindness. I want that level of compassion. I want that level of social righteous action. Everybody should have some models. If you don't, you're poor. Doesn't mean you have to be poor forever. It means do some study and find somebody who inspires you. You know, that's all it means. You know, find somebody who inspires you and get with it. So, you know, we're all going to die one day. What do, we, what do we want the meaning of our life to be? You know, what do we want our, our legacy, the wake of our life to be? If you do an exercise like this, can you imagine, can you just imagine consciously or unconsciously how many people you're going to affect in a very, very, very positive way? And it's not only you. When you're saying, may you be well and, and projecting that feeling, you don't think the whole kingdom is going to get behind you? Come on, think about this. The kingdom wants you to ascend. You're doing a practice of ascent. So you don't think the angels themselves will come to support you? I can guarantee definitely yes. Definitely yes. They want you to be part of that, that region, not part of this earth bog. See? You, 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 won't, you, you think you're going to be practicing alone. That's not how it is. You know, any saintly soul, any soul that has this kind of empathy or compassion for humanity or for life is rooting for you. It's rooting for you to fulfill your evolution, see, to become what you are. See, this is part of what you are. The, the, the yogis have simply, are, are the, simply the caretakers of the methodologies of realization. That's what we are. We're the caretakers of all these methodologies so that it can be passed on from human to human to human to human so that each person can can greatly enhance, greatly accelerate their evolution. See? That's, that's what these practices are about. Any thoughts or questions? Okay. Alright, then there's another practice that everyone can do. It's, again, these are not hard, but they get very, very more and more intense as, as, you, as you practice them. So everyone has heard about all these chakras. So this is, anytime you're talking about all these Kundalini stuff, and, that, that's all Tantra Yoga. It's all, it's all Tantra. <clears throat> because again, Tantra is seeing the divine in every element of life. So you're talking about, you know, the seven chakras of the body. You have the root chakra, the second chakra, third chakra, fourth chakra. Each one of them has um, uh, re relates to an element: earth element, water element, fire element, air element, ether element, um, divine mind, and then cosmic mind, or, or cosmic reality. Is a better way of saying it. So that 
there, there's various plexuses along your spine where it's a convergence of forces and each of those elements uh, have has a, uh, a material manifestation and also a, a, a psychic uh, particular qualities. Like you can say uh, the third chakra, so that's a fire element. So you can say um, the, the principle of, of dominance and submission. Those two elements are, are, are at play, being pliant and being dominant. And, and when they come into balance, then there's this health. Sometimes you're a leader, sometimes you happily follow, you know. You, but you do what's appropriate to the moment, you know. If there's no leadership, then you step forward. If there's good leadership, you're happy to follow. See? As opposed to the ego who is like, I'm going to lead no matter what and is busy crushing everybody. Or the person who's, oh, I'm afraid and I'm going to supplement, you know, and, you know, they're everybody's, uh, you know, foot, you know, you know, they're at, the, they're at the foot of everybody. Uh, what do they call it? Doormat. They're everybody's doormat. But that's unbalanced. You know? Or uh, this, this second chakra is, is, is uh, sensuality and creativity. And when I say sensuality, I'm not saying sexuality. I'm saying sensuality. So if you eat a pear that's delicious, isn't that a sensual experience? See? Of course it is. If you, you smell the fragrance of flowers, isn't that a sensual experiment? Of course it is. You know, if you see some wonderful art and you're wrapped up in it, isn't that a sensual experience? Of course it is. Is sexuality part of sensuality? Yes, but it's just one element. So please don't get hung up on the sex thing because it's just one element of a palette of experiences, okay? It's just one page in an encyclopedia. So don't get hung up on your sex stuff, see? Is it good and normal? Yes. Just see it as normal life functioning, see? So, in the uh, second chakra, it's, it's sensuality and creativity. So isn't sensuality a form of intimacy with something? And then you can say, with intimacy, adding some creativity to it? Isn't that a different ex notion, experience, when you're talking about you know, the second chakra, sort of creative intimacy. That's how you should think about it. Don't think sexuality. That, you're really ignorant, 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 crude in your mind. That's just one page in an encyclopedia. And even the sexuality should be done with kindness, with creativity. That's healthy. No problem. You're good to go. Swing from the trees. It's okay. It's okay. Just do it with kindness. That's okay. So that's that's a second. The, the first uh, chakra, Muladhara chakra, you're, you're talking about issues of security. So it's it's the earth element. Isn't the earth, you're happy when the earth is firm beneath your feet? So all the issues of, of security and insecurity, you're dealing with, with, the, with the first chakra, Muladhara chakra. See, when it's balanced, you're secure no matter what's going on. You're, when it's imbalanced, you're like, you're always afraid. There's always a, a, there's always a fear going on with you. you know? That's the imbalance in Muladhara Chakra. Now, now how do you uh, uh, work with these different elements so that they can become more balanced? The question is, there's multiple answers to that, that, that statement. In this practice of using um, uh, consciousness, 
Um, each each uh, chakra also has what's called a bija mantra, meaning seed sound. Om lam, om vam, om ram, om yam, om hum, om, and then the silence, the great silence. Those are the bijas, uh, root sounds, seed sounds of each mantra. Lam, vam, ram, yam, hum, om, silence. Now, in, in this kind of a, a tantra practice, you, you have to be able to visualize your spine. So if you, if you can't visualize your spine, you go get a, some anatomy book and look at it. <laughs> Just look to see what, because you know, maybe, maybe some of you guys are humanities students and never went to science class. But go look at it and see what the spine looked like, this, you know, serpentine-shaped uh, facility that's, that's in us. But there's tremendous power, this really hidden nuclear power in the spine. And that's not a, that's not a puffery, that's a real thing. That this literally nuclear-level power that, that is quietly dormant in the spine that slowly can become awakened over time. But so you, you learn to first become completely conscious, you know, internally aware, and, and localize your awareness in, in the, the root of the spine. And then the first thing, you just learn to breathe in each plexus. So root chakra, second chakra, third chakra. Just, just bring your mind present and learn to breathe in each, in, in, in each plexus going up, going up the spine, starting from the root. And then, with a with like a small model, something like this, maybe it has 12 beads on it. Then you'll just go, you, you'll, you'll bring your attention to the root chakra, Muladhara chakra. And then you'll, you'll say, you know, Om Lam. And you'll say it 12 times as you're consciously paying attention. Om Lam, Om Lam, Om Lam. And you're... You're trying to get the full vibration and full concentration on that region. And then you move to the Swadhisthan chakra, second chakra. Om Vam, Om Vam. Again, 12 times. And then to the uh, solar plexus. Om Ram, Om Ram. 12 times as you, as you put your full attention on it. And you go all the way up to Om, Om, Om. In the third eye. Okay? So that's, that's sort of a prep. Now you go back down to the bottom, thinking, okay, this is earth element. And then you say, Om Lam. And you do that again 12 times, but now you add a prayer. So this becomes a little philosophical. You say, okay, what does stability mean in my mind? You know things that are stable. So a lot of times we'll think about the earth or about mountains, something that you think of stable. And then you say a, a prayer for humanity that all, that may all feel stability. You know, may all be without fear. See? So now you, you, you've, you've, you've sort of excited the energy in this chakra uh, using a bija mantra and concentration and now you're attaching a prayer of goodwill that's specific to the nature of that, that chakra. You know, so you're saying, um, so this is earth element, so that may all 
feel secure. Can you think about, go around the world and think of all the places that people have physical insecurity? Or anywhere in our neighborhood? Come on, it's, don't look down the block. You'll find all kinds of insecurity. And then, so, so you'll do that. And then you'll move to the next chakra. And again, you'll say, Om Vam. So that's Swadhisthan chakra, second chakra. And you're dealing with the water element, and you're dealing with um, creativity and sensuality. So you, you say, okay, in, in nature of water, can you, can, can you realize that many people don't have water? You know, they, they can't bathe, they have to walk miles to get clean drinking water. You know, um, so you, you say a prayer that may all, may all souls, you know, have fresh, clean, flowing water. May all souls enjoy the fragrance of flowers. May, may, the, may, the, may the world be a fruit of sensuality. And when I say sensuality, I mean to enjoy your senses. May all be present to enjoy their senses, you know, in a creative, uplifting way. Isn't that about improving? Let's say I bring music into your life, or I bring art into my, into your life. Haven't I helped you with life, or brought dance into your life? Doesn't that change the quality of your life? So you're saying, you know, that you want all of these kinds of qualities to enter into all people's lives, so that they can have that creative, sensual joy. When you go to a ba ballet, isn't it a creative sensuality that you're watching? Come on, think about modern dance and ballet. When these beautifully perfected bodies are moving, isn't that sensual? You know, isn't that creative? Isn't that wonderful? See? Why not want that for everybody? Why not? See? So now you're empowering yourself, putting that prayer out into the world that slowly people can be lifted, 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 lifted. So you'll go through each each chakra you know, saying, what is the element, what is the nature, and saying a prayer of goodwill, you know. So you'll, you'll reach the heart, you know, and you'll, you'll say, may all be loved, may all be loved, you know, om yum, om yum, om yum, you know, and then think about the psychological value, and then put that out into the world. See, you become a generator of healing. You become a generator of wholeness. You know, you become a generator of seeing the divinity in everything. So you're going through each of the chakras, seeing the, the divine nature in each chakra, and manifesting that in the world. See? Can you understand what you become as this becomes a habit? Can you understand who you become as this becomes a habit? Can you understand that you're no longer an ordinary human being? An ordinary human being is like a smiling clay pot. You know, it may be nice, but it's just a clay pot. You know, it's not... You, you were born with dynamism, see? So you have to take the realization of these divine phenomena that are within you and do something. You are an action creature. You're born with action elements, hands and feet and voice. You're, you're born for action. You're not born to sit like a clay pot, you know, just to sit there. You may be nice, but you're not fulfilling yourself. 
human beings have to see the divine, see the precious, and then take action. And that's why we pray, so that we can find the divine in ourselves, and then we say, may all, all souls be enriched with this divine creative element. May it, may it take life, may it take vitality. That's why we pray, to, to spread that vitality through personal psychic realization. Over time, as you do these types of practices, your consciousness will become more and more rarefied, more and more purified. As that happens, you'll have deeper and deeper insight. As that happens, you'll acquire greater and greater power. You know, why, why couldn't Jesus say a prayer and anything was possible? Because he was tapping into his divinity. So isn't this a, a method of slowly learning how to tap into your divinity? So that when you say, be well, they become well, you know. Jesus was just using a science, a divine science. He's not unique. He, he's part of the evolution expression of life. We're all supposed to become like that. He was applying heaven science. That's what he was doing. See? He was applying heaven science. It didn't just happen. You know? he, he did all of these types of practices so that the breath of God could flow through him, whether it's talking about Jesus or Krishna or Buddha or any of the great saints of any of the great cultures or any of the cultures. They all have saints. They all healed. They all lifted. They all inspired. They all pointed to the, the way. That is part of our evolutionary journey. We're, we're all supposed to become Christ one way or the other. Put your first name out there and then put the word Christ behind it. And that's what that's what your evolutionary journey is. You know, that's what your evolutionary journey is. So, I mean, so you've heard a lot today. But you've heard things that are doable. You know, this is not way out there. This is stuff that you can do. And you, you, you take these practices as, a, as practices of of goodwill and self-discovery because as you do it you will change and as you change you'll see more you'll see deeper these are all evolutionary practices this is part of your 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 evolutionary journey all all their the, the, the heaven the, the great masters give the yogis and teach us all these different practices so that they can be distributed you know, amongst the people, so that so that people can fulfill, so that they they overcome insecu insecurity. You know, they overcome crass sexuality. You know, they overcome fear. They overcome lack of love. They overcome all these things by by the opposite energy, the opposite positive energy. See. And then they become a manifestation of all of those positive elements within us, hidden within us. See, we have all of these seeds of wonder in us, but they're dormant. We're just eking out a little trickle of energy. Little trickle, little trickle, little trickle. You know? So we all love to one level or another. Why don't we love like a Jesus? Huh? Or why don't we love like a St. Francis? Or love like a Buddha? Why not? Why not? One has exercised the facility, the other has not. That's the only difference. 
One has practiced and the other hasn't. One has stumbled along. One has courageously walked, walked along, fulfilling their dharma. See? This is the dharma of everybody. Dharma means the path to truth, the path to truth, the path to true fulfillment. That's what dharma is. So, I've sort of said a lot today. <laughs> but all of this is sort of mind-blowing. This is like, the guru's job is to smash your small conventional way of thinking. So that you, you have a big mind. Big mind. Big heart. You know? Not a little, you know, walnut heart and a walnut mind. Think big, big, big. Find your tremendous infinite potentiality. It's there. It's just no one told you how to tap it. You know, it's there. You have nuclear strength in you. So, you know, bit by bit, take these things on as life experiments. You know, if you have questions or confusions, you know, anybody, myself or anybody like me, can, can, can clarify these things for you. So take the opportunity to, uh, to ask, a, you know, questions. You know, my job, your job, as people who are trying to learn elements of yoga, your job is to ask 10,000 questions. My job as a servant of the masters is to answer 10,000 questions. So I'm available, you know, and you should exercise your, your responsibility also. My responsibility is to answer. Your responsibility is to ask. See? Both of our responsibilities is a practice. We both have that responsibility. So that's that's how that's how this stuff works. How are we doing on time? Good. Uh, am I to keep going or am, am I to stop? you can stop. Are there any questions? I mean, we've talked about a lot. This is like mind smashing stuff. We, we, okay, so we'll shorten then. Any, any thoughts or questions or how do I do this or have I been clear enough in, in how to do these kinds of exercises? Can you understand how you're moving from ordinary to extraordinary the moment you start doing this kind of practice? At the moment you start, you're not a, you're not a normal person anymore. You're just not. You know, you're, you're, you're dealing with the physics of, of deep spirituality the moment you start these things. You can be Joe Poor, Joe Humble, Joe Nobody. The moment you start doing these things, you're Joe Extraordinary. You're Joe or Joan Extraordinary. You know, because you're dealing with the physics of nature and all the kingdom is going to get behind you. You know, you, you don't practice alone. Everyone's rooting for you. Everybody, the whole kingdom is rooting for you. you know? But you, 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 have to, you, you have to sort of blow your mind. You have to blow up your mind and see beyond your conventionality, you know. And then you have to just exercise these, these practices, exercise these practices, take notes, pay attention, see what happens, you know, join, your, join this community of the sacred, you know. Find your place in that community. Forget the community of man. God bless them, but you're, you're more than that. You're more than that, you know. You're part of a great community of, of, of sacred existence. Don't limit yourself to, I am just this. No. You're far more than, than what you think you are. And you can discover that. The, the beauty of yoga is that you have direct personal experiences with the nature of reality. There's no conjecture. There's no maybe. There's no guessing. It's If an elephant steps on your foot, is there a maybe? 
there's no maybe if an elephant steps on your foot. Either it did or it didn't, and you know for sure. This is the beauty of yoga. You know for sure because it happened to you personally, viscerally. See? So, this is what you're here for. I guess you're all here to hear this message. <laughs> you know, and again, if you have any questions, come by the house, call me up, email me. You know, I'm available. It's up to you. You know, it, it, this is, uh, these are life challenges. And it's entirely up to you whether you take on the challenge. It's, it's your thing. You know, if you're happy where you are, God bless you. We're good. But if you want to take on these challenges, my job is to help you. Okay. And any questions? Fong, any questions? No? Yes. <laughs> okay. Alrighty. So what we'll do is we'll bring our spines erect. No questions at all? My only question is, did Buddha and Jesus do these practices? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Did they do it in a previous lifetime or something? Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything is a progression. You know, you, you are who you are because of who you've been. See? You didn't just happen. You're a progression you know, of, of, of self-alteration. Constantly altering yourself. Constantly adjusting yourself. Constantly striving for to evolve. But they were kind of born already there, so they didn't. This is this is where the idea of reincarnation, or in my life, the, the, the reality of reincarnation, is that that you that nobody becomes a Buddha or a Jesus or a Krishna in one life. Mm -hmm. That's not possible. So it was in a previous lifetime. Yeah, it's just know. like you have a clod of of uh, carbon, and over time, and with great pressure and great heat, that piece of you know, clod of coal becomes a diamond. So those great masters started off just like a, a clod of, you know, common coal, like all of us. And through the course of time and circumstance became diamonds, spiritual diamonds. That's what we are. You know, we're not supposed to stay just this. That's why there is an evolution. See? And that evolution is not just one life. You can become perfect. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. It's over a long body of births that, you, that you're doing infinite amount of experiments, uh, infinite amounts of uh, questing through the world to see what you value. And then over time, maturing you know, to value saints and the, maturing to value the masters and the dharmas that they teach. In the beginning, you don't, you don't really value, we, we as human beings don't value that stuff. But over time, we learn to value the wisdom of the masters. And then as we value them, then we seek to emulate them, see, to become like them. And as we do these practices of emulation to become like them, we become one with them. See, We enter into that community. But it's through all of these kinds of practices. So today we're talking about the... Uh, the yoga of tantric compassion. But there's many, there's an infinite body of practices, you know, and the teachers will put out this practice and put out this practice, and we hope that we just catch you to do at least something, you know, 
because any one of the bodies that practices, you'll advance. You'll advance. But it's everybody has different dispositions. So sometimes we'll do a very intellectual teaching. Other times we'll do a very emotional teaching. Other times we'll do very creative teaching. Other times we'll do very mechanical, visceral type teaching. It's just because people are different. And everybody deserves an opportunity to advance. So the teachers will teach many, many, many different ways just for your personal disposition. See? Okay. So Actually, I have a question. Yeah. How does one open to a natural flow of sexual energy in a world where there's so many sexual distortions out there? Yeah, that's a good question. There's a few ways to answer that. So you're a man. So now we're going to use some psychology. Let's say you have a sister. You say, well, my sister is becoming an adult. She's going to enter into uh, sexual relations. How would I, as a man, want my sister to be treated? See? Now when you analyze how you want your sister to be treated, then you say, okay, how am I treating women? You want your sister to be treated with kindness. You want her to be treated with respect. You want her to be treated with uh, love. You want her to be treated with non-deception. See, those are the things that a normal man would want their sister to be treated like. That's just normal. So you make a list of how you want your sister, whom you love and respect, how you want her to be treated, and then say, okay, that's my list, that's my five key things, and the way I want my sister to be treated. That is what I shall now embrace as a man, as to how I will treat the women in my life. You want them with love, with respect, with kindness, you know, all these kinds of things, non-deceptiveness, you know. And then you act on that, act on that. You fulfill that level of integrity in your life. You know, there is nothing a matter with sexuality at all. It's, it's what you bring to the table. You know, it, it, you, you can just, you, if you bring just joy, joy and kindness and, and uh, curiosity, no problem, no problem. It's, it's only when we try to manipulate a person, control a person, limit a person, there's the problem, see? So... Human sexuality can be perfectly joyful, perfectly healthy, no problems, but it's not, it's an element of life, it's not life. You know, it's, if it becomes the thing, then you're becoming neurotic, see? Then you're not seeing the person's intelligence, you're not seeing the person's creativity, you're not seeing the person's sensitivity, you're not seeing the person's humanity, see? You, you have to see all those things, you have to see their intelligence their emotions, their, their creativity. You have to see their humanity. Can you imagine having sexual intimacy and not really appreciating the humanity of your partner? Then what are we? See? What have we become if we're, if we're not remembering their humanity and not, and not acting with kindness, joyful kindness? See? So, sexuality, no problem. Just make it healthy. You know, can, can you do all, stand on your head, do all, do, swing from the trees, it's okay. It's okay. You know, it's just part of experimentation. That's human's nature, to experiment. It's human's nature to seek joy. It's all, that's all okay. 
but you know, bring to the table your humanity, your kindness, your thoughtfulness, your integrity. No, then everything else, no problem. No problem. Okay. Any other thoughts, ideas, questions? Alrighty, so then we'll we'll chant Om, you know, three more times. Take a deep breath in. Gently take a deep breath in. Release the breath. And you can gently open your eyes.